The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. We're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. And you might say, why are you doing that at a conference about disordered uh, sexuality? And, uh, and I'll get to that. Um, but we're also talking about it because it's my new book, and I just insist that they talk about my new book because <laughs> I'm all that. And um, so this book will be out at the end of July, and, uh, and you could pre-order it on Amazon right now. Um, so let's pray. Father, thank you that... Um, Thank you that you have loved us and that your love for us extends into the very deep recesses of our lives, into our brokenness, into our desires and dreams, and it also extends out into a certain future. And in these days when our future here and really everywhere in the world seems so very uncertain, we ask that you would give us faith to believe Um, help us to truly hope in what we should hope for help us to know this is not our home and um, and to keep that in view while we while we seek to serve we pray in Christ's name amen Um, I'm going to be honest with you I haven't presented on this material before in this form and um, my guess is I have way more material than I'm going to be able to give you so if you only get like half my notes, um, buy the book. So there you go. <laughs> so the name of my talk today is Home, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfy Our Deepest Longings. And that is one of the things we're talking about today. And at this conference is our longings, our desires. Um, those things we're wishing that we had. Uh, I decided to write this book and to look into this matter because for me personally, 2015 was one of the most destructive years I've ever lived through. It began with the loss of a very dear pastor and friend. Um which was astonishingly difficult and remains so and uh, continued through the year on enormous losses on all sorts of levels and ended on the 28th of December with the loss of a man who functioned as my father my entire life. So 2015 was, for me, a year of immense loss and detachment from things here. And everything that, um, on all sorts of levels, but things that I had grown accustomed to, loved, felt part of, felt attached to, were basically ripped away. I'd like to say that that's over. It's not over. 
But one of the good things that the Lord did for me and hopefully through me during that time was to force me to look away from here to there, to that home that I'm going to. And um, that's, you know, I, so I began to study, and I read and read and read, took hundreds of pages, uh, 100 pages of uh, typewritten single-spaced notes, um, and then I began to write, and I was actually very blessed in that my publisher, who was expecting a different book from me, was willing to take this book instead, which is really out of the ordinary. So that's how I got here. Uh, to write about this, to talk about this, and I discovered that actually what I was feeling, this desire that I was feeling was actually homesickness. It was this sickness, this, this longing, this nostalgia for something that I wanted and and desired from my innermost core and and really saw how I had looked to all kinds of things in the world. And, you know, I could have said all of this to you a year ago, but I'm saying it to you now with a depth of understanding that I would not have known then. Thankfully, I'm thankful for God's work, though it has been and continues to be very painful. But I, but I began to understand that what I was experiencing was homesickness. And, uh, and I certainly travel enough to know what homesickness is. You know, you just it doesn't matter how nice your hotel is. It doesn't matter how nice the flight attendants are. It doesn't matter how nice the people are when they meet you at the airport. None of that matters because... You're not home. And it's like home. Yeah, home is in my home. When I finally get home, I love to just, you know, I mean, you get to walk in, you tear off all your jewelry, you kick off your shoe. Oh, you guys don't tear off your jewelry. Women, just, you know, and, and you just sort of flop, right? And, you know, you get your own shower. Hello? Right? And, and your own bed, your own pillow, everything smells the way it's supposed to smell and feels that way. And, and, and I will say that even though I love my home and I have a nice home here in es- or not here in Escondido, um, there's still, it's still not quite it. You know? I mean, it's close. But it's not quite it. And so then, you know, you gather the family together. And I've got three kids, and they are married and have kids, and they all live in the area. And so then I'll have, like, sort of a quasi-family sort of party reunion. And they all come together, and it can be really wonderful. But that's not quite it either, right? There's always something a little missing. It just it's not quite it. And uh, at one point... Uh, at a, at Christmas a few years ago, uh, my daughter Jessica, whom many of you know, uh, I said to her after Christmas Day, and we're sort of putting things away. I said, "How was it? How was Christmas for you?" And she said it was really good. And I said, "Did you did you kind of feel like something was missing?" And she said, "Well, yeah, Mom. It's not supposed to happen here." <laughs> Sometimes you can make your children so smart you want to slap them. <laughs> 
but that would be abusive. I would never do that. So, um, <laughs> see, do, do you guys do you resonate with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, this can all be good, and you can feel comfortable, and you can have friends and people who love you and people whom you loved, and and, and but it's not it. This this not it. So then, what is it that that we want? So, the master carpenter. You know, it's, it's not for nothing that Jesus is a carpenter, right? He's the builder. And uh, he said to his disciples in John 14 when, they, when he was getting ready to leave, let not your hearts be troubled. See, everything you think about how things ought to go and what makes you comfortable and what your plans are, it's all going to change. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Why? Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Listen, bottom line of all of this, Jesus is home. Jesus, where he is, that will be home. So Jesus sought to bring comfort to his beloved friends and us by teaching us of his labor for us, of his work, of his preparation. So what they were expecting, now the problem, of course, is that we have expectations. We expect things to go a certain way. They had expectations of what, as well. They were expecting, of course, to have a political kingdom that would come in and rout out the Romans and place the nation of Israel again at the top. Um, without saying too much here politically, I think sometimes we Americans think that same thing. Uh, America is not the kingdom of God. Just saying. Hashtag. Um, (laughs) See, Jesus is building a different kingdom. He's building something else. Daniel 2.35 tells us that there is this stone that's cut out of a mountain without hands. I think that probably speaks to to the immaculate conception, the incarnation. And that stone grows to be a mountain that will talk, that will... Um, knock down all kingdoms. Um, That's not what they were expecting. And I think sometimes that's not what we're expecting as well. What Jesus is doing, I really appreciated what Ian had to say in there about the marriage. Was it Ian? These British dudes. I mean, I... (laughs) Was it Ian or was it Sam? I don't know. Some British dude recently said... There's this marriage between heaven and earth, right? So when we pray, bring, bring your kingdom to, uh, to earth as it is in heaven, that's actually what's going to happen. Heaven, heaven is breaking in, into earth. It's actually already begun. So there's all sorts of question books, uh, excuse me, question books. There's all sorts of heaven books out right now. Sort of about I died and I was dead for you know thirty minutes and this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any comments about any of those books. That's whatever. Um, 
But I think that the picture that they tend to paint of heaven is that it's sort of clouds and light and sort of like we'll be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp sort of with see-through fingers. And, you know, you leave your body behind because, you know, we all believe in Greek philosophy. The body's bad and the spirit is good. See, that's not a Christian construct. That's not a Christian construct. Christian construct is that your physical body is good. God called it good. So uh, that view of heaven is really not a very biblical view. So <clears throat> I'm having a discussion with one of my grandchildren just about you know what we'll be doing on the new heaven and the new earth, and he's very sweet. He's he's um, 17. He's going to be a senior this year, which makes me cry. And uh, and he said, but Mimi, in order to go there, you have to um, die. He said, yeah, right, good, right. That, yes, yes, true, thank you. I, that's not like news to me. You know, children are afraid they're going to tell you something you don't know. And, um, and then he said, but even so, even if you die right now, it's not the new earth right now. And I said, yeah, right, we get to go to paradise. And this is, what, this is where I think we get a little confused. So the Bible actually talks about an intermediate state that we go to. Before the return of Christ, when we are rebodied, we get our bodies back. If I were to die today, I would go to paradise. We don't like using that word, I think, just because we're a little uncomfortable with it. And now it's gotten this sort of mm, Middle Eastern kind of construct, you know, like 20 virgins in paradise or something. It's not that. So we do go in this intermediate state to paradise where we, and and the word paradise there, you know when Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, that place that word actually means a beautiful walled garden here we are back with walls again, isn't that interesting? a beautiful walled garden and that's where we stay until Jesus returns, now I wanted to say something here I don't know what church you're from or what your mm, eschatology is, right? It doesn't really, I don't care. Um, There's all sorts of, you know, ideas about who comes down and who goes up and, you know, when is the last day and how many days are after the last day and all of that sort of business. I'm not talking about that except to say there is an intermediate state and Jesus will return at which point we get our resurrected bodies. Now, if you want to put in there a millennium, go right ahead. I, when, I, when I was studying this, I determined that anything that was good that would be in what you might call a millennial reign would certainly get transferred over into the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'm not talking at all about um, all the stuff that tends to amuse us. What I want to talk about is just the new heavens and the new earth after all of that business. Okay? All right? So if you want to put a tribulation in, if you want to put a millennium in, if you want to put anything else in, you put it in wherever you like it. That's fine with me. God's going to work it out. 
doesn't matter if it's fine with me or not. And <laughs> what I want to talk about is the new heavens and the new earth after all of that business. Okay? So I have my own views on that. Uh, I'm sure you do too. So what we do then in the intermediate state basically is we rest and worship. And it's kind of a, kind of a way station. See, even when you die, you're not exactly there yet. Isn't that interesting? Still waiting. Jesus is waiting. We're waiting. But then, when Christ returns and we have our resurrected bodies, wherever you want to put that, we will re-inhabit this earth that has been remade. So... <clears throat> When you think about the word heaven, there's two ways that the Bible actually talks about the word heaven. The talks about the Bible talks about the word heaven like it does in Genesis 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, we tend to think of of heaven. Um, so the first way you can talk about the word heaven is that that's the place with like the stars and the sky and the moon, and the horsehead nebula, and all that business. That's the heavens. That's one way of thinking about the word heaven. Another way of thinking about the word heaven is to understand that that's where God refers to his, where his throne is. But listen, God's throne is not by the horsehead nebula. It's not out there. It's in, in a sense, a different dimension. Let me tell you why. Because when God creates the heavens and the earth, it's not like he didn't he was homeless before. There, he was already in his heaven, and his heaven is his place, but then he also made heavens, the heavens, which is where the birdies and everything are. Okay, does that make sense? Really important. That's really important for us to understand because... Um, you know, we keep thinking, well, you know, if, if the Hubble telescope keeps going, uh, eventually they'll discover the he- God's heaven. No, you won't. Actually not. Although I quite find it quite interesting that astrophysicists are really quite stumped that there's this sort of power that's keeping all of the universes sort of together. They call it dark matter. If you heard of dark matter... It makes up 80% of the universe. Dark matter. You know why they call it dark matter? They got no clue what it is. <laughs> we know what it is. It's the word of Christ holding everything together. But anyway, okay, so heaven. So maybe when we talk about heaven, it would be better for us to say when we die, we go be with the Lord rather than saying... <coughs> When we die, we go to heaven. We do go to heaven. That's not wrong. But people carry with that this thought of like floating around on a cloud and having wings. Like we turn into angels or something. We don't do that. So what do we do then? We will eventually return to the original creation once God scrubs it. So what was going on in the original creation? God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. 
Listen, this very good earth, this very good earth, isn't going to be disintegrated, disintegrated into nothing. It will be cleansed and reshaped, but its very good essence will remain. Okay? When you come to the new heavens and the new earth, when you get when when with your resurrected body, you're gonna say, Oh, that's a mountain. It's not gonna be like some other thing. You see, we militate, I think, against thinking about the physicality of the world to come. And what will we be doing there? Uh, we will be we won't be marrying or giving birth to children, but we will have dominion over the fish and birds and every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God, God is, hasn't changed from the original design with a very good earth. He hasn't changed from that original design. Um, and what, what were Adam and Eve doing? They were to work and keep the garden. And that's what we're going to be doing. Oh, great, we get to work. No, you got to understand, the only thing you don't like about work now is sin. And the curse. See, the curse is that you work days and days and days and finally get everything inputted into your computer, inputted into your computer, and then your computer crashes and you lose it all. Right? Or you go out and pull weeds, and then tomorrow they're back. It's the futility of this broken world. That'll all go away. And then work will become what work was originally meant to be. I mean, don't you sometimes find joy in work? That joy that you find in work is going to be amazingly delightful. With no broken computers or weeds or, you know, or I'm under this deadline. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to sit in a class with uh, C.S. with the Inklings? You know, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Charles Williams, and listen to them talk about imagination. And you could say, well, I'm not really sure I could understand it. And then you could realize, well, you know, I could do this again because I'm not going to run out of time. Okay? So having relationships, learning, working, exploring, who knows what the universe will be like then or whether or not we'll be able to explore it. Wouldn't that be something? I'd like to go hang out at the Horsehead Nebula a little bit, you know? Check it out. Or, yes, there was a, um, this last year, my husband and I, uh, we vacation every October with some old friends, and the year before we had gone to Zion National Park, and we discovered a hike that you can take called the Narrows. And the Narrows is a hike in the Virgin River that you walk up, you have to do so in a wetsuit because uh, the water is very cold, but you walk up this river and then on either side of you are these rock walls 
granite walls that go up like a thousand feet, and at some places they narrow to like 30 feet apart. You have to be really careful that you're not going to go on a day it rains, because people have died doing that. So the year before, we saw it, and we thought, okay, next year we're going to come back to Zion, and we're going to do that, uh, because we were out of time. So the next year comes, and the night before we're supposed to drive out, I've got the stomach flu. And... um, and so I said, well, let's just drive out because I might as well throw up in a trash can in the car, sit at home and do it and see what we can do. But anyway, and, you know, that's just how I roll. So we get there, and I'm too sick to go up the narrows. And I can't really ask him go back again to the narrows, you know, another year. So then I thought, well, that's something I'll do in the new earth. Okay. Get, get that picture. Right, the things that maybe you feel like you're too old to do now, or you don't have the resources to do now, or the things you want to explore but you don't have the capability to do it. That that new Earth stuff. That's all new Earth stuff. So go hike the Narrows with who knows who you'll get to hike them with, right? And then you get to the end of your hike, and you look at each other, and you go, oh, wow, that was so wonderful. Let's do it again. And you know what's going to be really amazing about being in the new earth, where all things are everyday new? You're never going to get bored. I mean, seriously, think about that. What would an entire day be like without any boredom at all? (laughs) She said in the middle of her class. Ah, yes. Um, (laughs) So we're going to get... I want you to to get this picture of the new earth, that sort of... All of those things that you long, good things that you long and desire to do here, you'll have the strength and the time and the ability to do there. I would really like to understand why light bends the way it does. And there's absolutely no way in the world that this brain is ever going to do that. Have you ever seen, um, I go to church up in Valley Center, and we have these massive big oak trees. Beautiful big oak trees, right? Well, one of, uh, one of those big oak trees, they, they come from a little acorn, right? I mean, who would ever look at that acorn and say, from that acorn is going to grow this? Your body's the acorn. And it's getting planted and then a new body will grow from it. That will be you, but so much more you than you could possibly imagine. See, I, it's like, okay, I'm ready. Yes, a new body, are you kidding me? And a new body that's that much grander than an acorn to an oak tree? That much stronger? New Earth. So, like, I'm almost 66. And I'll be honest with you, I can't stand up from a chair without going, 
well, you know, I try not to do it very loud, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, ow, that didn't used to hurt. Yeah, oak tree. Coming. That's a little exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so here's an interesting thing, though. When you think about the original creation demand, uh, original creation and creation mandate, which is rule the earth, have dominion, subdue it, keep it, tend it. There's a missing command, and it's the one thing that we think that we're supposed to say that we're going to do when we get to heaven. Now, what's the one thing when I said to you, if I were to say to you, what are you going to do when you get to heaven, what would you say? Yeah, go ahead. Worship. Right? Now, I love worship, but I don't think that's all the new earth is going to be. The mind, your brain, will, everything you do will be worship. That's why it's not there in the creation demand, in the creation mandate. The creation, in the creation mandate, man was never told to worship. Because all of that tending and keeping and having dominion and all of that, that was worship. Now, when John the Revelator talks about what goes on in heaven, he talks about worship. But that's for us, because we can't, we, we, we can't figure out what this is actually really going to be like. Everything will be worship. So we'll be hiking up something like the Narrows. And we'll go, oh, God, you are so wonderful. And that's worship. Um, Jesus becomes the master gardener. He's the master carpenter. He becomes the master gardener. Christianity, as I said, is not Greek philosophy where the body or material universe is evil. We got to get over that. The church has bought that hook, line, and sinker. You, you know, the body's bad. Get rid of the body, and then the spirit's good. That's that's Greek philosophy. It is not Christianity. Listen, Jesus resurrected, and for the sake of his dear disciples, whom he didn't want to blow away sort of looked like himself to them. Although, of course, he had the power to appear and disappear in rooms. But he did a really wonderful thing. This is so important. He ate fish in his resurrected body. You know why? Because he wants us to know the physicality of our resurrected bodies. We're going to eat and drink and be merry forever on this earth. Beautiful earth, no longer sin-cursed, no longer under that futility of the curse that Romans 8 says we are groaning under. An earth that won't be fighting against us continually. And we'll have bodies. We'll eat fish. I'm... Yes. So, Jesus had returned from the dead as the first ripe stock of grain. 
thereby ensuring the harvest that's destined to come. So the so the farmer goes out and he takes that first fruits, the sheaf of grain, and he comes in and he says, see this grain, this is the first fruits of this entire field that's coming. And just as, it's just as sure that I'm holding this first fruits of grain, that this entire field is going to bloom and produce fruit, just as sure that I'm standing here holding this or for a little bit more earthy excuse me metaphor when a baby's being born you see the head and once you see the head you know the body's on its way right Jesus is that head do do you get what I'm saying I mean it's determined it's predetermined you will have resurrection bodies and you will live in a new heaven and new earth I think that's kind of exciting so um, of course we would find the second Adam in a garden see where at at his resurrection where do we find him in a garden. Well, of course, he has to be in a garden. He's in a garden in Gethsemane. He's in a garden when he's resurrected. Why? Because he's the second Adam, and the first Adam blew it in a garden. See, all of this stuff is important, and it all links together. Of course, we would find the perfect second Adam in a garden, spreading the good news of his resurrection and our justification. And the reclamation of the entire human race and the world he created. Where there was once disobedience and destruction in a garden, now there's perfect obedience and renewal. So because he did that, we can know for sure that we have this future. How would this impact your counselees who feel like this place is a loser? And my life is a loser. You say, oh, no, no, this is what's coming. At his ascension, Jesus returned to heaven. This is really important. In a body, still incarnate. See, Jesus, at at the ascension, Jesus doesn't shed his physicality. He doesn't lose his body or turn into a spirit, or go shooting off into, you know, heaven like a rocket. Nor does he melt down into the earth. He steps into a cloud, and he's gone. Now, all of us have seen enough science fiction, haven't we, to imagine another dimension that just basically we're separated by like a cloud mist, if you will. He steps into a mist, And he ascends, still in bodily form. See, in heaven right now is a human being still in bodily form. He never lost his bodily form. That's really important because that tells us that eventually we will be with him in bodily form. Our DNA... still gendered, by the way, right? Your DNA is gendered, which is what Sam was talking about last night. Your DNA is going to be reunited with your soul, 
at the second coming, and you will be you again. Um, God's not going to destroy all of the beautiful DNA he created. He's going to refashion it, but he's not going to destroy it. Um, All right. So at his ascension, he returned, and he's forever the God-man. And then we have, we're going to switch a little bit and look at Abraham, because Abraham saw a city, right? He saw a city. He was looking forward, Hebrews 11 says, to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When you think about heaven, do you think about New York City or a Thomas Kincaid painting? See, here's the deal. Thomas Kincaid notwithstanding, heaven is going to be more like Tokyo than a little cottage on a prairie. Why? Because God loves people. And there will be millions and millions of them there. Now, this is going to be hard to believe, but I really am an introvert. And uh, I do the speaking thing, but I'm an introvert. I really don't want to be around people. I mean, no offense to any of y'all, y'all. But uh, I'd just rather not talk things. Now, my daughter's a radical extrovert, and the sort of thought of being... I've been to Tokyo, I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to New York, I've been to London. Those places are nice for a couple of days, but after a while they wear me out. I just can't. It's the noise. Um, Heaven is going to be more like that than a little house on the prairie. And you know it's going to be really great because you're going to be able to make friends with people without thinking, how am I doing? Do they like me? Am I following them? Am I understanding them? You're going you're gonna to have so many friends, and you're never going to have to like look at your watch. Like, have you ever gone out to dinner with people who are really good friends, and you're really enjoying yourself, having a great time, good conversation, but then you have to look at your watch and say, hmm, got to go. That's going to be gone, that whole look at your, your watch gig, gone. So hang out and talk with your friends for 1,500 years. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have enough time to really understand what people are talking about. And besides that, you're going to have this new resurrection body brain. You'll be able to understand when people talk. And you say, I'm not sure I'm understanding your point. That would be great, won't it, Sharon? Yeah? Yeah. That would be wonderful. I hope you're getting like a little excited about this. I mean, I, I think we, golly, we, we have the best news. You know, we have the gospel, which is the best news, and the gospel opens this door to this new earth. Get to sit around and talk to Bono about how he made great music for the glory of God. Anyone say, oh, you're old. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> right? Or you're black. 
not talking to you. Wouldn't it be great? See, one of the things we hate about cities is because they overwhelm us. But you won't be overwhelmed in this city. It'll be the glory of God. And you know, someday we'll all be sitting around chatting and they'll say, well, at least you know you tried. And I'll say, yeah, well, I, I did try. And, you know, Jesus will come walking up. And he'll say, friends. And we'll say, Lord, we were just talking about you. And he'll say, I brought lunch. Let's have a picnic. And you won't have to look at your watch and say, well, I only, you know, I'd love to talk to you, Jesus, but, you know, I've only got 45 minutes here. That'd be great. Uh, See, so sort of let your brain go a little bit with this. Um, This city that's coming, this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a rare jewel. You know, John is trying to figure out a way to describe what he's seeing, and he, and he just multiplies adjectives trying to describe what he's seeing, and it's just it's immense and beautiful, more beautiful than you can imagine. And this city is a 1,200 stadia cube. Now, you can take this literally or not. Uh, I think it's okay to just say, well, you know, when the angel's talking about it, he says it's 1,200 stadia, and that's the human measurement. So maybe we're supposed to think about it a little bit. 12,000 stadia is 1,400 miles. So 1,400 miles is this city... (laughs) is like from here in San Diego to Dallas, Texas. That's a city. And from the Mexican border to Canada. And it's that high as well. 1,400 miles high. Well, if a city's 1,400 miles high, it couldn't support its own way. Its own way. Well, yeah, duh. Everything's going to be different. Listen, if God can remake all of us and give us new bodies, I'm not worried about whether or not this city is going to be so tall that it falls under its own weight. You want to know how big it's going to be? That's how big it's going to be. Just the city. So then Sharon and I will be walking along, and we'll say, hey, Sharon, you know what? Uh, I heard that um, C.S. Lewis is going to be talking, Victor Hugo is going to be talking about why he wrote Les Mis. So let's go up and listen. And we'll say, yeah, cool, let's go up to the city and do that. Yeah? I mean, does that sound like a little, oh. Um... It's going to be populated, (laughs) such great news, by those whose names are written in the book of life. So everybody there is going to be somebody who's a sinner and yet a saint. Oh, that'll be lovely. And there will be a beautiful river running through the middle of it. And it will have the water of life flowing through it. And there will be two trees of life. 
not just one, like there was in the original. See, this is this is so God, right? So like the first time, I'll put one. But then the next time I do it, I'll put two. Why? Because he just... He overabounds in his creativity and generosity. So two trees of life that produce 12 kinds of fruit every month of the year. Imagine what that... Listen, if if you had never eaten an orange, if you had never eaten an orange, and I said to you, there's this really great fruit, and it has this hard sort of acidy skin, but you can peel it, and then and then you can sort of take it apart into sections. And then in the sections are other little sections, little follicles, that have the most insane tasting juice in it. You would never imagine an orange if somebody, if you hadn't seen one, right? I mean, I can describe it to you, but you can't get there. That's that. That's this whole thing, and that's the, those trees. Imagine the fruit. You can't. There will be an amazing fruit and enough fruit on those two trees. Who knows how big they'll be? I mean, stop thinking apple tree here. Okay? Who knows how big they'll be? And you'll be able to go up and just get the fruit you want. Have you tasted the purple one for crying out loud? Listen, you know what's really amazing? In your eye, you have three color receptors. You only have three. The butterfly has something like 17, which needs to say to you that there are colors you don't see. Your eyes, your eyes there are going to see colors you've never seen before. You'll say, what color is that? Isn't it interesting? We, we sort of think we've seen all the colors. You haven't seen them. The butterfly even can see them better than you can. So, you know, we'll walk up to the tree. Have you, have you tasted that one? I don't know what color that is. Have you tasted that? And when you eat it, and you're not going to have to, like, count calories. <laughs> you just enjoy it. And the leaves on that tree, you're not going to have to try to make big leaves and hide behind them. Therefore, you're healing. Isn't that lovely? See, that's the city. That's in the city. I haven't had any fruit from those trees. Let's go eat some fruit from those trees. Um, the Lord is its temple. So there won't be like church buildings the church buildings you go up and where the Lord is that's where church is and you worship and we will worship him there because the whole creation the whole creation to us will be God with us and night will be no more now I don't think that that means that we won't sleep because we're still going to be finite right we don't turn into gods But maybe there we sleep mm, once every few days or a couple of weeks or something. We still sleep. It would be really amazing not to just, like, have to sleep every 12 hours or so. Wouldn't that be amazing? Have those kinds of bodies. And what will we do there? The Lord will be our light. 
and, you know, we will reign forever and ever. See, we'll reign forever and ever. We're ruling. We're doing that creation mandate thing from Genesis 1. We're ruling and reigning. So who knows? I mean, you know, maybe I'll say, hey, I want to go out to whatever planet, because who knows if Mars will still be there. I want to go out to Mars and see what's going on out there. Am I going to need a spaceship? I don't know. Uh, we're in a sin-cursed world, and everything here is decaying and winding down, and it's so very difficult for us to even imagine anything like this. For the creation was subjected to futility, that's this world in which we live, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Listen, we will be completely set free from our bondage to corruption and death. Everything here ends in death. Everything dies. But there, no. No death. No dying. No corruption. No ending. Newness, life. Oh, he says, I'm making all things new. Always new. Over and over again. New. So, um... In heaven, everything will be new every day. And listen, God will say again, again, did you ever take like a little three-year-old, two-year-old toddler, right? And you put them on your knee. And you go, I'm going to amuse my little grandchild here. And you go, uh, trot little pony, trot to your pan. Careful little pony that you don't fall down. And you do it once and then laugh. And then like maybe you do it a couple more times. And then by then you're starting to think, all right, you know, Huh. Let's move on to the next thing. But what do they scream? Again. Again. Do you know why? They never get bored. See, God never gets bored. That's why you have as many krill as there are. Or snowflakes. Or fingertips. Or, excuse me, fingerprints. God's just like, again. Again. Over and over again. Wouldn't that be cool? We're living under such corruption and bondage here, we can't even hardly get there in our thinking. You know, you're counseling some poor person who's stuck in a loveless, difficult marriage, and she says, is this all there is? And you say, oh, no. No, you're waiting right now. A day is going to come. And all of this beauty is going to be yours. So what will we be doing? Learning, exploring, working, growing, all part of the worship to come. And you know what that does? It gets rid of your bucket list. I never even heard of a bucket list until that movie came out. Um, just dump the bucket list. <laughs> Seriously. Don't try, don't try to fill up your desire for home by doing something here. You can get rid of that bucket list. Trying to build an identity here based on your accomplishments or experiences is both foolish and futile. Why? Because, listen, I've gone on really great vacations and they're never quite... I mean, you know, they're, they're nice, but then there's always that one bad hotel. 
in Celtic spirituality, and now you're going to think I'm really weird, um, there's something that they call the thin places. And the thin places are places where they say that you're like closest to heaven. It's like almost, a, it's like a place where you can almost put your hand through to it. Uh, I think that there are thinner places here. I think primarily that's the church and the sacraments. You know, you're eating that food. What do you think you're going to do at the marriage supper of the Lamb? He's sending food to you. So you're going to eat. And there's that baptism and that water. And all of that business is very close to us there very close to us there, and in fellowship with one another. See, that's one of the really, mm, really wonderful things about having fellowship among believers when you're sort of just being open and, you know, you can be trusting and you have plenty of time to share and that thing's going on. That's a foretaste. That's a, that's a thin place of what, it's going, of what it's going to be like. Here's some more good news. Nothing you do here is in vain. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Listen, if God was just going to destroy everything, I mean, obliterate it, vaporize it, what's the point of doing anything here now? I'm telling you that the good you do now is going to be somehow pushed into that world to come. And the good you do now in building will somehow be transferred into that into that good. Um, into that good world to come. God will scrub this universe with cleansing fire. But will not completely obliterate it. Peter says, By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the earth, heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And yet, and yet, enough of the earth will remain so that we will know this is the earth. Peter also says that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's talking about the flood. Well, but the world actually didn't. It kind of did, but it didn't. So God's going to recreate this world. Um, I cannot believe, C.H. Spurgeon said, that in that world being annihilated upon which Jesus was born and lived and died... Will not the blood of Jesus immortalize it? So this world is going to definitely be scrubbed and changed, and the evil will be obliterated, and nothing but good will remain. But still, it's going to be this earth. It is impossible that the good creation that God made should have to be scrapped because of Satan's attack. It's just impossible that it should happen each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it if the work that anyone has built on 
if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, it will receive a reward. Listen, the good you do now will somehow be transferred over to there. And we will receive rewards. In heaven, J.I. Packer says, there will be no unfulfilled desires. But I want you to hear something else that he says, because when you talk about rewards, people wonder, are there actually going to be rewards? What's that going to be like? Packer, I think, really gets at this here. He says, there will be different degrees of blessedness and reward in heaven. All will be blessed up to the limit of what they can receive. But capacities will vary just as they do in this world. As for rewards, when God rewards our works, he is crowning his own gifts. The essence of the reward will be a deepening of the relationship with the Savior. Listen, if you work really hard, uh, Phil and I have been married for eh, 42 years, I think, which actually proves that there is a God. So anyway, (laughs) if we work on our relationship, work to love and serve one another, then there is a reward of relationship that comes with that. Okay? That's how I want you to think about rewards. There is a reward of relationship that comes with what we do here and now. It really does matter. And it's not going to just be obliterated. Our contribution to the New Jerusalem should not be downplayed. At Petco Park, which is the San Diego baseball park, when they were building it, one of the ways they figured out they could make money was in this uh, commemoration court that they have. Um, you, c- you could buy a brick and put somebody's name on it and uh, pay for it, and then that would be there. That brick would be there at Petco Park as long as the parks did. So my ch- our children uh, got together and bought a brick for my husband because he's a big Padres fan. And on the brick it says, World's world's best Padre. And they put the brick there. Now, listen, that brick is not holding up that entire park, right? But it's something they added to the park. That's what your good works are. Something that you're adding to this beautiful new creation that, and how does that work, Lisa? I don't know. But I think the Bible's clear that we add to. We add to this, to this new creation. Oh, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, and get this word, hastening? The coming of the day of God. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So in some way, and if you ask me how, I will say I don't know. But in some way, the good that we do now is hastening is coming. It's not for nothing. And if we think the whole world's going to be obliterated, then it feels like it's for nothing. But it's not for nothing. It shouldn't be that much of a stretch to believe that somehow, in some way, unfathomable to us, God is using our work, our words, our lives, our prayers. I mean, why pray? Why pray? If God's just going to do what he's going to do. 
God is using our work, our words, our prayers, our lives to bring about the events that he has foreordained must happen before his return. And all of those things somehow get transferred there and beautify that place. Acts 3.19 tells us that the heaven must receive Jesus. He must stay there until the time for the restoring of all things. And, you know, who knows what that means? Maybe that means that 21 more people in the Middle East need to be martyred. You understand that's part of the clock. God the Father says to the martyrs under the throne, wait until their number is fulfilled. There's a specific number of martyrs specified by God that are going to die for him before the end. I don't know what that number is. God knows. And when that number is hit, then it's over. So now, imagine never having to say goodbye. And it's quarter till, so we are going to say goodbye. (laughs) But imagine a place where you never have to say goodbye to somebody you really love and love to be with. I mean, Phil and I have been together longer than we were ever single. But a day will come, unless the Lord returns, when we'll say goodbye. Imagine the eternal hello. Always. Always. Right? Justice is done. God has poured out immense grace on people. You'll see people there and you go, What the what are you doing here? (laughs) And you'll be blown away by God's generosity and grace. And you'll probably fall down about that time and worship a little bit. Imagine never having to say goodbye and having all the time in the world to be with those you love, to meet new people you will love and learn from. Maybe there's somebody that sort of has irritated you your whole life. Some believer, right? You know, you you can probably think of that person right now, right? You're going to get to heaven and you're going to love that person. And they won't irritate you anymore, and you'll understand them. That'd be great. Probably hang out with them for a you know millennia or so. Hey, let's hang out. To spend before the face of the one you have always longed to see. Listen, this is this really this this is the news we give to people who are suffering. People, you're on a road don't expect the road to be home you're on a rocky path don't expect it to be comfortable a day is coming when it will be Father thank you uh, Lord we there's so many things you we just cannot possibly understand Uh, We don't even have a grid for it. But, Lord, we thank you for your great love and mercy, and we pray that you would give us, Lord, please, uh, faith to believe that this is, in fact, where we're headed. 
in particularly, Lord, as we go through times of great uh, tribulation and sorrow and difficulty and doubt and confusion, that you would help us keep our eyes fixed on that city whose builder and maker is God. Thank you for this time. Please bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2016, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.